start a new series today called Ask Alexa. Who you ask shapes your answers. It shapes the answers that you get. Um, you know, if you're working on a financial plan for retirement and you talk to a financial planner, you'll get one answer. If you talk to an accountant, you're probably going to get a different answer. And if you talk to somebody from the IRS, you'll probably get a third different answer. Who you ask shapes the answers to the questions that you ask. Uh, you know, if you're a football star in high school and you have some questions and you ask Mark Dan Antonio or Jim Harbaugh or Urban Meyer... All I'm saying is, who you ask shapes the answers that you receive to those questions. You know, at the beginning of this year, we did a series called What Matters. It, uh, it lasted the first seven weeks or so in January and February, where we talked about the things that are the core foundational truths for North Point. If you weren't around, feel free to jump on the website and you can go back and, and uh, listen to those, look at those again. Um, we talked about the big rocks that we have. And, um, and how those things will not change at North Point. They shape who we are, how we approach things. Uh, those, those big rocks, those core values were who God is. That God is eternal. That he was from before time. That he made everything. That he is holy good. That he is um, he's perfect. He's all-powerful. That he's compassionate. That he's love. That, that he's just. We talked about this idea that there is only one God, um, and it's, it's God alone. We talked about Jesus, that Jesus is one of our big rocks. Jesus was God come to earth in flesh. It, it, Jesus was a, a real man who lived at a real time and place, and that he was fully God and fully man. And, um, and that he had, the pow- he had power over natural events. He could do miracles. He had, uh, he had the ability to live a sinless life and ultimately went to the cross and took our punishment for our sins on the cross because he was the perfect sacrifice. We talked about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is one of our, one of our core values. It's, it's who we are. We believe that the Holy Spirit's real. That the Holy Spirit lives inside every follower of Jesus. That the Holy Spirit leads us into truth. The Holy Spirit convicts and challenges us. The Holy Spirit helps us understand what Scripture says. Um, the, whole, the Holy Spirit's part of that. We talked about the Bible, that, that for us, one of, the, one of the key things is that the Bible is God's word. It's the way that God has revealed himself to us other than Jesus. And that the Bible is what gives us direction for how to live our lives. The Bible teaches us what's true and what's not. The last value that we, that we talked about was of salvation, that we can only be saved through Jesus. That it's not a matter of doing good works. It's not a matter of, uh, you know, making the pilgrimage someplace. It's only through Jesus that we can be saved. Though, those are, those are um, who we are. That, that was that What Matters series. There are lots of other issues that are important to people who are trying to follow Jesus. And this series that starts today is kind of in response to those other things. There are lots of things that have people that people have questions about. Say, oh, what's the church think about this? Well, you know, where where are you on that on that particular thing? And people try and get answers from lots of different sources about those things. They ask their parents, they ask their friends, 
They form their opinions based on culture or courts or whatever it is. They even ask Alexa, right? They ask Alexa. Alexa, what's the weather like today in DeWitt, Michigan? In DeWitt, Michigan, there's an excessive heat warning in effect until Sunday, July 1st, 8 p.m. The current weather is 88 degrees Fahrenheit with partly sunny skies. Today's forecast has intermittent clouds with a high of 93 degrees and a low of 72 degrees. Doesn't that just make you want to go out and play outside today? (laughs) Alexa, why do we celebrate the 4th of July? On July 4th, We celebrate Independence Day because on this date in 1776, the Declaration of Independence was adopted by the Continental Congress in Philadelphia, which officially separated the 13 American colonies from Great Britain and its king. We ask questions in all kinds of places, right? Alexa, Siri, Cortana, Google. Uh, Alexa, do you know Siri? Sorry, I don't know that one. Alexa, do you know Cortana? We have a good working relationship. (laughs) We ask questions all kinds of places, all kinds of different places. Who you ask shapes the answers that you receive. You know what? Over the next 10 weeks, we're going to ask lots of questions about important issues that we face. Issues about identity. Issues about whether or not evangelism is appropriate in in a pluralistic society. Uh, issues about how we spend our leisure time. How how what what the balance between work and rest might be, and a whole lot of other things. We'll probably start each week with Alexa, but we're going to land in the Bible today. We're taking a look at the issue of holiness. Alexa, what is holiness? Holiness is usually defined as the quality of being holy. That helps a lot, doesn't it? Does that take anybody else back to elementary school where your teacher said you can't define a term using the same term? Alexa, what's the definition of holy? Holy is usually defined as psychiatry, a psychological disorder of thought or emotion. Alexa, stop. Holy is usually defined as psychiatry, a psychological disorder of thought or emotion. Alexa, stop. That was the wrong definition, Alexa. Uh, You know, who we ask shapes the answers that we get. We can get wrong answers, right? Um, the, The question that's really there for us today that starts everything is what does it mean to be holy? What's it mean to be holy? It depends a lot on who you ask, right? If you ask some people what it means to be holy, they're going to say holy, being holy means going to church. It means reading your Bible. It means having large sections of Scripture memorized. For some people, it means that, uh, that it's, being holy is defined by what kind of clothes you wear, where you go or where you don't go by what you say or what you don't say, by what movies you watch or don't watch. Others would say holiness is defined by whether or not you drink caffeine and whether or not you have special underwear, right? Uh, Some people would say that being holy involves fasting during Ramadan. 
and kneeling seven times a day and praying towards Mecca. Some people would say that, that being holy is taking a vow of chastity and serving the church. Some people would say being holy is having the curls and wearing a yarmulke, having a big beard and wearing a prayer shawl. Some people would say that being holy is defined by how well and how many times you say the Our Father or uh, uh, Hail Mary, whether or not you use birth control. When the Bible uses the word holy, it means to be set apart from the world, from everything else, and from the mundane. When the Bible and the words in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the original language, language use the word holy, it means to be pure. It means to be consistent, never changing. It means to be like the nature of God. To be holy means to be consecrated to God. J.I. Packer says that to be holy is to be separate in both contrast and distance from everything except God. To be separate to, to, to be in contrast, in, uh, separate to, in both contrast and in distance from God. In practical terms for us, let me, let me just say this, and this maybe would be better at the end of the message, but just kind of hang on to it. What's, it. what's it mean practically to be holy? It means that we say no to sin. It means that we avoid sin, that we, that we choose to not go that path. It means that we're like Jesus, that, that we really do do what the bracelet says, WWJD. What, what would Jesus do? That, that's a question that we ask. It means that we pursue love and kindness. It means that we have a heart of mercy and benevolence. It means that we live with this pure heart for God. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to take them out and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Because the passage of Scripture that, that we're going to use that will really drive everything else in the message, um, shapes uh, our, our perspective, our questions that we ask about being holy. Uh, feel free to take out the app, take out a Bible from the back of the pew in front of you. Here we go, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. If you flip over a page or, or just a few paragraphs down to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse, verse 1, it says, uh, okay, God's doing this work. Rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, all hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Down in verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation 
God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter says to the church that he writes to, the followers of Jesus, look, here's the deal. God has called you to be holy, and, and God is the model that you have of that holiness. When you think about what it looks like to be holy, it's to be like God. Back in the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah the prophet describes this encounter that he has with God that's incredibly powerful. In, in the notes that I think on screen, it's just verse 3, but let me read the first five verses of Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, angels, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. With two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, Isaiah cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty, the holiness of God. John, when he has this vision about what eternity looks like, writes in the book of Revelation in chapter 4, says, in front of God's throne... There was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures. They were covered with eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of those four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. There's a literary term that's used in Isaiah and in Revelation called epizuxis. Say epizuxis. That's a fun word to say, epizuxis. What it means is that when something is repeated over and over again for um, importance and increasing intensity, you repeat the same word or the same phrase over and over again, and it, and it gets stronger with each time to the, till the time that it gets to the third time, it's like exponentially more. Parents, you understand this, right? Son, come here now. Come here now. Come here now. The exact same thing three times over again. Each time it increases in importance and intensity, right? If you talk to your real estate agent and say, what are the three most important things about uh, selling real estate? What is it? Location, location, location. Epizuxis. The same thing. Even the beer commercials, right? It's only two, but Bud Light, dilly dilly, right? Two times in a row. Repeat it for emphasis and intensity. Dilly dilly. There we go. Don't miss this. God's nature is holy. 
He is set apart. He's pure. He's distinct from anyone or anything else. He's perfect, intensely so. When you think about the Bible, the Bible never says God is love, love, love. The Bible never says God is mercy, mercy, mercy. The Bible never says God is compassion, compassion, compassion. What the Bible says is God is holy, holy, holy. And if God says that we're to be holy as he is holy, we've got to take this call from Peter incredibly seriously. If we're going to internalize what it means to be holy, this is, not, this is not some small issue. This is a big deal for us who claim to be followers of Jesus. Let me, let me share four truths this morning about the call that we have to be holy that I think can help kind of frame your thoughts this week about living a holy life. The first is this. Holiness, holiness takes root in your heart not in your activity, not in your actions. Holiness starts with your heart, not with, your, with the external stuff. It's more about your heart than it is about your actions. It's easy to think about holiness in, in terms of only what we do, our actions. And so we, we resolve in our minds, we think in our minds, oh, I'm going to live a holy life if I can just do this and this and this and this. But holiness comes from our heart. And holiness can only be sustained in our lives if its roots are in our heart. It won't last otherwise. It won't last as an action, as a, as a demonstration of our will. If holiness starts with our minds, our thoughts, our will, what will the result of that be in our lives? It will be a spirit of legalism. It will be a list of rules, of do's and don'ts. What, what we, when, we, when we make it an issue of our mind, what we do is we say from the outside that we're going to try and work from our mind, from our, from our actions into our hearts. That if we can just do holy stuff, our hearts will eventually be holy. And it's, in reality, the exact opposite. Holiness has to start in our hearts. And when it starts in our hearts, it spins itself out and it ultimately shows itself in our actions. God didn't say, do holy as I do holy. He said, be holy as I am holy. It's about being first. It's about your heart starting there. The difference between holiness that starts in our head and holiness that grows in our heart is the difference between plastic flowers and real living flowers. Plastic flowers look great on the outside. You look at them from a distance and you think, oh, those are great. But they don't smell. They're not alive. They can't reproduce. Holiness that comes from our heart is the real deal. It's a real living uh, reaction that happens as we're drawn to God. The roots of our, of our holiness are fertilized with knowledge that comes from God's word. If we want those roots to grow, we've got to immerse ourselves in God's word. 
Your life of, uh, as a follower of Jesus is doing what you know. And if you don't know what to do, you can't do it. We've got to have God's word because if our heart's right, God's word will all of a sudden begin to make sense in terms of how we live our life. Unless you know what to do, you won't do it. We, can, we can't obey what we don't know. When we read scripture and we hear, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and holiness starts in our heart, it's like, oh, Oh, if my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, that impacts what I do with my body. It impacts what I put in and it impacts where I put my body. When when we read in Scripture, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. It's no longer what I want. It's what God is doing in me that draws us to action. That knowledge begins to shape our activities about what we engage in or what we don't engage in. It's still an issue of the heart, but the knowledge illumines the choices that we make. It fertilizes what's th- those roots that are set down in our heart. So th- the second thought I want to give you is this. You can't be holy. You can't be holy unless you first die. There are a whole lot of folks who believe that, uh, well, let, me, let me say it this way. You've got to experience salvation. You've got to experience the saving grace of Jesus. The process of having your sins washed away, of having a pure conscience towards God in order to be made holy. God's work of salvation has to happen in us. God's holy nature means that he will always punish sin. That sin can't be in his presence. God's holiness, his purity, um, shapes that. And so the only way we can have a relationship with him is if our sinfulness is punished. We can't be holy unless we die. We can't have a relationship with God unless our old person dies first. So many people, so many of us think, you know what? If I do enough good stuff, if I'm, if, if I, if I'm good, God will accept me. That'll be okay. You know what scripture says? Romans 3, there is no one righteous. No one righteous. Not even one. No one who understands. No one who seeks God. All have turned away. All, uh, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Holiness can't be a part of our life unless the old person dies. The third truth is this. Holy living is the evidence of a transformed life. It's evidence of the fact that that old person has died. It grows from our heart, but when we give God control of our lives, when we give God carte blanche on us, when we say, God, I am yours completely, our actions change. They're no longer the same. Peter says, be holy in all you do. In in 1 Peter 1, before he says, because it's written, Be holy as I'm holy. Holy living is the evidence of a transformed life. It shows that the work that God is doing in us is is actually producing fruit. Uh, Let me me, uh, just say this kind of while we're here. Um, Don't miss the fact that you can't live a holy life in isolation from other Christians. 
Uh, throughout history, people have said, you know what, I want to be sold out to God, so here's my solution. I'm going to go live on a mountain by myself, away from all the people who caused me to sin. What's the problem with that? The sin is in us. You know, it's not in, I, I mean, it's in everybody else. But the issue is an issue of a heart for us. That's why it's so important, if we're serious about living holy lives, that we be connected to the body of Christ. That we be, that, that we're a vibrant part of the church. It's why we have such a high value for life groups. Because, because in that context, we learn what it looks like to be holy. We, we encourage each other. We challenge each other to say, you know what? You're, you're doing that by a set of rules. That's legalism. That's, you know, it's, God doesn't have your heart. In relationship, you can have that converse, those kinds of conversations. You can't have those conversations by yourself. And, and don't miss this. As we think about holiness being evident in our life, God is the one who gives us the power to be obedient. It's not anything that we can do on our own. When we're saved by Jesus, when our lives change, when the old person dies, God puts his spirit in us, and the power to live holy lives comes from his spirit living inside us. Philippians 2 says, it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to to fulfill his good purpose. When we're we're talking about holiness, it is God... God is the one who enables us to get any place close to that because of the work that he has already done. The the fourth piece, as as we kind of sort through this, really kind of wraps back around into the uh, the, the first point that I wanted to make. It's this. Our motivation to live holy lives is solely and entirely to please God. It's not so that people will look at us and say, oh, man, they're really holy. It's, it's not just so that we can say, oh, I've been obedient, I've, I've checked the things off the list. It's so that we can please God. It's more than about putting your head down and blasting through and saying, oh, God, I'm going to do this for you. It's more than about being a good soldier and following orders. The purpose of pleasing God, uh, I, the, the, the purpose of the, the the result of holiness having a part in our life is so that we can please God. Most families that have ever had little kids can look back to a point where that child um, did something that had been taught, and um, and they and they look up at their dad and say, "Daddy, I did good, right? I did I did good," and and the dad surrounds them, swallows them, and hugs. You did great. Our desire to be holy is so that God wraps his arms around us. And we say, I did good. And he say, oh man, you make my heart pleased. Because our holiness is driven not by a list of rules, but by a heart desire to please him. Our motivation to live holy lives is not to gain entrance into heaven. It's not to... It's not to um, have people say how good we are. It's not so that our good outweighs our bad. Our, our motivation is simply to please God. If, if, I could, if I can just sum this message up into, into one challenge for you, it, it's this. God's called us to be holy. He said, be holy as I'm as holy. So here's the deal. Fall in love with Jesus. 
and live a holy life. That's what I want you to think about this week. Fall in love with Jesus and live a holy life. This message, today's message, has been percolating in my life, I think probably for the last 20 years. As our culture has become more and more tolerant and embraced an idea that says, you know what, what's true for you, that's great. What works for you, that's great. It doesn't necessarily work for me, and it's not really true for me either. I don't even know if it's true at all, but if it works for you, that's great. As our culture has accepted that mentality, I've had this growing pit in my stomach. The focus for us who claim to be followers of Jesus has shifted from a driving, abiding love for God to what works for me, what works for you, that's all okay. The result has been that we who are followers of Jesus do whatever it is that we want and we sanitize it in the name of Jesus. It's no longer about what pleases God and brings him joy. It's not even about what God says is right or wrong. It's about us. What we want. What we say is right or wrong. Even those of us who profess to be followers of Jesus. And the result of that has been that we look like every other good moral person in America. A lack of holiness has caused a lack of credibility for Christianity in the United States. A lack of holiness has caused a lack of credibility for who Jesus is in our world. The acceptance of the gospel cannot simply be an intellectual process where we say, you know what, I believe, I believe that Jesus is God's son, so everything's okay. I've, I've done the right stuff. I prayed the prayer. I, I went in the water. I, I did. I'm, I believe, and that's okay. It includes those things. Obviously, we need to submit to to Jesus. We need to make that choice to believe in him. We need to be obedient in, in all of God's commands. But the acceptance of the gospel is proven by a transformed life. If your life hasn't been transformed from unholy to holy, if your life isn't any different than the people who live around you, what good is it? It doesn't make any difference at all. For a number of years, our, our slogan as a church, our tagline as a church was, North, uh, North Point's a, a place for people like you. And that, that's, that, uh, there, there are some aspects of that that are really good. It, you know, it says, uh, here's, here's a place that's accepting of people, where, you know, kind of wherever they come from. It's a, it's a place that people experience the same stuff you are. They're struggling to raise their kids. They're trying to figure out what to do with their money. They're, they're fighting depression. They're going through all those things. It's a place for people like you. But the place where that, where, where that slogan misses is this. The world is not looking for people like you. The world is looking for, or for people like them. The world is looking for people that have answers, that their lives are different that the way that they parent looks differently than they do because their system is not working. A transformed life is what gives credibility to the gospel. In this world that we live in, holiness is perceived entirely negatively. When's the last, per- last time you heard somebody say, man, they're really holy and that is really cool? 
It is not that at all. We talk about holier than thou. When, 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 you, when, when somebody makes a moral choice that pleases God, they say, oh, oh, you're trying to make me feel bad? Holiness is perceived negatively. The Bible says being in relationship with God is the one thing in the world that matters most, and it's incredibly positive. The world says holiness is abnormal and weird. The Bible says holiness is the normal behavior for a disciple of Jesus, of somebody who's in relationship with God, of somebody whose heart is focused on God and his kingdom and eternity. Holiness is what makes the gospel compelling. Living differently, thinking differently, responding differently. Holiness is what makes the gospel compelling to our children. Holiness is what makes the gospel compelling to our friends. Holiness is what makes the gospel compelling in our responsibilities, in the choices that we make. It's not just that we're free from sin and not just that we're not plagued by guilt. It's that our lives are different. God has changed us. If we impact 50,000 people with the grace of Jesus in the next five years, but don't have lives that are different, lives that are characterized by holiness, it means absolutely nothing. If the church is not the undeniable sign of the power of the gospel, then the gospel has no credibility in the world's eyes. It may be... That as you follow Jesus, you struggle. You know, you, you, you want to be a Christian, but you're not living a, you're not happy, you're not fulfilled. You don't have any sense of what John wrote about in John 10 when he said the abundant life, the life to the full. Is it because holiness is not on your radar? You're not, you're not being holy because you're trying to live with one foot in both worlds the world around us, and the world that you know that God created for you. Peter says, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it's written, be holy because I'm holy. Let's pray. God, my sense is that we are desperate for this message this morning. We've, we've lost track of what it means to be pure, what it means to be holy, what it means to be set apart, what it means to be different. God, I, I ask that your word would been in our minds this week that it would draw us to you God I ask that you would do a work in our hearts that you would help us see with clarity that while it's not about our actions at all man when our heart is right with you our actions change God I, I pray right now for people that I know that are here that are thinking you know what I have not died to my old self. I want it. I want it. I'm not sure I'm ready to leave what's behind. 
God, wipe away the veil, wipe away the cloud, help them to see you in your glory and to know that you are who you say you are, that you love them, that you, what you want is so far better than what the world offers. God, it draw us to you. May we be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing.